0: All right. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Lighthouse Community. My name is Fritz Milo. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, super glad that you're here with us. I especially want to welcome all of our guests here in the house with us. I want to welcome those joining Lighthouse Online, Bluffton Community, uh, Fostoria Community. Super glad that you guys are with us today. Now, I wanted to give you a quick update um, because for uh, many of you, um, or not many, but for some, you may not realize that Lighthouse Community purchased 10.7 acres of land on County Road 99 uh, last October. And so we did that because we sensed that God was leading us toward this big vision for sharing the gospel and helping people say yes to Jesus within the 50,000 here in Hancock County that are far, who are far from God. And so the Building to Change Lives is our initiative to build a new ministry center in the northwest quadrant of Findlay, where right now uh, there's really no uh, meaningful uh, gospel advancement happening there. And on top of that, the city of Findlay is expecting hundreds, uh, maybe even over a thousand new homes that are getting ready to be built uh, right in that area. And so it's an amazing miracle that we were even able to uh, purchase that piece of property. Uh, Absolutely amazing. And so we kicked off Building to Change Lives in late April with the hopes of raising $4.9 million for the land, for development, and for building. And and I know that that sounds like a lot, and and it is. Um, But this is a very simple building design uh, that was designed with ministry, usability first, and most. And so that's what's behind that, driving that whole thing. And what I wanted to share with you real quick is give you an update on where we are in that capital campaign. And so today, across all three locations uh, in the family of churches, so that's Lighthouse Community, that's Bluffton Community, and that's Living Hope Church on the east side of Finley, um, the entire family has pledged or given to date $2.6 million. And so, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. And so uh, I want to say thank you to every person who has pledged, every person who's given, every person who's been praying for building to change lives and encouraging uh, along the pathway. And so uh, we believe that $2.6 million uh, plus a potential proposed uh, debt plan, those two things together means we're 73% of the way towards our goal of Four point nine million, and so that's that's a really amazing and remarkable thing. Two point six million is amazing, and so thank you, church family. Thank you, Jesus. Now, in order for us to move forward with finalizing this building design, making plans to start dirt work, uh, to begin construction, we really do need to be at a total. Of 3.9 million in pledges and gifts, and so we can get the rest of the way to the 4.9 uh, with a loan that works within our ministry budget. So where we're at today is we're praying that God would provide that additional 1.3 million in pledges and gifts. And so let me share a couple next steps that we're taking as a church, and we're asking the family to engage as well. Uh, first is this: uh, you will either receive a letter, you actually might already have. Uh, or an email that's gonna detail all the specifics of the campaign that I just shared with you. And included in that letter is a feedback request that we're asking everybody to complete in return. And so we just want to discover where is our church family in this process and what are the next steps that we should be taking together. And so uh, I want to ask you, please look for that email or that letter, uh, and if you will, uh, complete that and then return it to us as soon as possible because we really do want to hear from you and we want to move together as a family. And so 73%, the second thing is this, 73% is good, but we really do need to be at 100%. And so this is the church family's opportunity to move us forward to completion. And so I would just throw this out. Um, If you haven't pledged, if you haven't given, I'm gonna ask you to do this. Will you pray? And will you consider being a part of building to change lives? And so this is a really big initiative with a big vision uh, focused on the sharing the gospel in our county. And so we really do uh, need to be as close to 100% of our church family as possible participating in this initiative to move forward. And so what this is really about is all of us moving forward together with the Lord as we take next steps. So I just wanted to share that update with you uh, very briefly before we got into the message. So uh, again, uh, just want to say thank you to everybody who's joined Building to Change Lives. Uh, Thank the entire Lighthouse community family. Uh, God is really doing a special thing here, right? And we're just wanting to stay in step with him, take those next steps together. Uh, Let's keep helping people say yes to Jesus. Now, as Larry had mentioned, if you brought a Bible, uh, if you would, open up to Revelation chapter 2, or you can click over there on your device. Uh, Today, what we're talking about is we're talking about the distraction of compromise. Here's what I want everybody in the house to do. Uh, Just uh, do this. Everybody say, compromise. Compromise. Okay, some of you compromise right now to do it, because like, I don't like saying stuff out loud in church, that's dumb. Um, if, you're, if you're in the chat, if you're online, type compromise uh, into the chat. So uh, we're talking about compromise, and compromise usually pops up when two people see the same thing, but they see it in different ways, right? And so usually uh, an argument develops, at least a debate. And really the only way forward is for each side to make a concession, right, to give up part of what they want so that they can get to the whole. And so, uh, you know, compromise is not unfamiliar to us. We do it almost every single day. Uh, it's, you know, it's negotiating with your four-year-old to eat more peas, right? Okay, 10 peas, and then you can be done. All right, four. Okay, two, right? All right, you don't have to eat any peas, just have cookies, right? Like that's, you know, <laughs> Christine and I've made, uh, uh, you know, we've made a commitment. Uh, we never negotiate with terrorists, so we just didn't do that with our kids. Um, compromising to work out a time for your teenager to come home, right? They want midnight, you want 5 p.m., and so you compromise on 11, uh, right? A couple years ago, my wife, Christina, really thought we needed a second cat because our current cat, uh, Cammy, this is uh, Cammy, yep, uh, said she needed a friend, and uh, I thought we didn't need a second cat because, well, I don't even like the first one, so um, why would I want a second one? So we compromised and we got a second cat all right and that's Kramer right um yeah so Yes, compromise. It's wonderful. Uh, our, our culture <laughs> loves compromise, right? Uh, we celebrate it. Like you go to Amazon, you find all kinds of books about compromise. That's where you get the win-win scenario. We, we love watching shows with people making deals, right? They're negotiating back and forth. They're coming to an agreed compromise on something they're going to buy. And so compromise is all over the place. We're not unfamiliar with this. But it does make the question that is there a moment or is there a situation when compromise can go too far and it's no longer helpful, it's actually hurtful, right? That compromise can go too far and actually compromise can be wrong. And we know the answer is yes, right? We know because we feel the pain of that regularly in our lives. We know that for many of us, we spend too much time at work, and we compromise time with our family, right? Or the reverse. We spend way too much time with our family, and we compromise the things that we really should be accomplishing at work. We set boundaries with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and we go right on past them. One beer turns into ten, and you don't remember where it ended after that, right? We want to pray and study the Bible, but more important things pop up and we never really do, right? And so, and so you compromise, and, and you feel guilty, and then you pile that burden on top with all of the other ones you already have, and you keep trudging along. And if you compromise long enough, and you compromise often enough, you'll end up somewhere that you never really wanted to be in the first place, right? See, a person doesn't go from following Jesus to walking away in one step. That's not how that process goes. What happens is it's small compromises along the way. It's one small step. It's one degree to the left, and then it's another and another. And before you realize it, you're so far off the path, you don't even remember how you got to where you are right now. And so today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to show you from the Bible a body of believers that was compromising, and what Jesus said is the way to overcome the distraction of compromise. And so I'm going to read Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 12. Uh, I'm going to read that from the English Standard Version. So that's what's going to be on the screen, but you can follow along with the version that you have. And uh, it says this. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, "...the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword." I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Could you imagine living there, right? That's got to be a challenging place. Uh, Yet you hold fast my name. You did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Okay, we're going to jump right in because there's quite a bit of content I want to put in front of us this morning. And so here's the first truth about overcoming compromise. The first truth is this. We live in a dark world. That's truth number one. We live in a dark world. See, Pergamum was a spiritually dark city. Now, at first look, it kind of seemed very open to all kinds of spiritual things. But did you know it's actually possible to be very open to spiritual things and yet be spiritually blind? Those two things can be true at the exact same time. Here's what I mean by that. Pergamum had countless temples and shrines to all kinds of gods. They had a, uh, a temple to the god uh, Zeus, right, the Greek god of thunder. They had a temple to the god uh, Asclepius, who was a healing serpent. People would actually like sleep in this room with serpents, and if a serpent touched you, they believed that you would be healed from whatever you were going through. And they even had a temple to Caesar, right, the leader over Rome, to worship him as a god. And in fact, you see Jesus referring to this guy named Antipas who was likely killed because he would not worship anyone else other than Jesus. Because that was seen as a crime in Pergamum. See, everybody worshipped Caesar. They actually had a pledge of allegiance to prove it. They would cry out, Kaiser Curios," which means Caesar is Lord. And you would declare that to let people know, yep, I worship Caesar. He is one of the gods that I serve and that I follow. The problem with that is Christians already had their own pledge. And that pledge went like this, Iesus curias," which means Jesus alone is the Lord, right? And so there's no other Lord alongside of Jesus. It's him alone. By the way, when you get a chance, don't do it right now, but go check out Romans chapter 10 verse 9 and read that with this understanding in mind of Kaiser Curias versus Jesus Curias, right? Caesar's Lord versus Jesus alone is Lord. Read that passage, Romans 10 9, and meditate on really what all of that means and what that looks like. And so I share that with you because you need to know that Pergamum was a very dark place place. In fact, Jesus said, I know where you live. It's where Satan's throne is. This is the place where Satan dwells, and I believe he's pointing to all of this distraction for these other gods and other places of worship. And you've got to know that that's not just something that the disciples in Pergamum dealt with, right? We live in a dark world too, and our dark world is spiritually blind. You've got people all over who are grasping at salvation. They're grasping for blessing. Now, they might not be going to brick and mortar temples and calling out Zeus and sleeping with snakes at night in the hopes of being healed, but they worship fake gods the same, right? They put all of their hope in some new technological advancement to fight aging. They worship money for security, sacrificing ourselves on camera so then maybe there'll be hopes that someone does like me and find some appreciation for me and and I share this with you because you've got to know that there are no bleachers for spectators in this world right you are either on team caesar or you're on team jesus and there's no place for spectators to watch how this thing is going to play out right it's actually one side or another and we, and we live in this dark world. And because we live in the dark world, as a follower of Christ, you are going to be tempted to compromise your faith in Jesus. That's actually the second truth, that you will be tempted to compromise your faith in Jesus. And you can see that in the culture and the city of Pergamum. They were putting pressure on the disciples to compromise their faith. Hey, come worship Zeus. Come come worship Arclepius. Come worship. Caesar doesn't have to be the only God. He just wants to be one of many, right? What's really unfortunate for the disciples in Pergamum is they weren't only facing pressure from outside their church family. They were actually facing pressure from within their church family to compromise their faith. Right? Jesus actually called out two groups who are a part of the church in Pergamum. Per- Pergamum excuse me. Uh, one group was the people who followed the teachings of Balaam. I just call them the Balaamites. Um, and then you have this other group known as the Nicolaitans. And so if you want to find out more about Balaam, what I would encourage you to, go, encourage you to do is go to uh, the Old Testament book of Numbers, and you can scan or read through uh, chapters 22 through 31. I'm not going to go through all of that today, but the, the key piece that you need to know for today, is that Balaam, right, who was a seer of the gods, somehow influenced the men of Israel to commit adultery with a tribe of of women, right, from another group, right, the Moabites, and he influenced them to worship their gods instead of God of the scriptures, right? Somehow he influenced them to do that. And so what Jesus is saying Just like Balaam was doing that, you've got groups in your church who are doing the exact same thing. And and likely what it was is these Balaamites and these Nicolaitans probably had a rationale like this Hey, what's the big deal with eating food that's sacrificed to idols? It's just food. That's not a big deal. And the idol, it's just wood, right? It's not even real. There's not even a real God behind that. It's, It's just food. And it's just this piece of wood. What's the big deal? But here's what they missed. I agree with them. It is just food, and it is just a block of wood. But at the same time, it's also when you sit down at that meal with that group for that purpose, you're actually entering into fellowship with darkness. You're actually entering into fellowship. If you want to really give it a name, you're entering into fellowship with Satan. That's who's really behind all of that. And so it actually is a huge deal. It's a very big deal, right? And then you also had them trying to justify sexual immorality probably by trying to separate the body and the soul from the person. Right? So what they're saying is they're going, listen, it's just sex. It's, it's just bodies performing an act. It's no big deal. Okay. But again, there's a fundamental flaw there. The Bible says that we are unified creatures. Yes, we are body. Yes, we are soul. Yes, we are spirit. But we're one, right? And you can't separate you from your body. And you can't separate you from your soul or from your spirit, right? That's you, all of it. That's you, right? You can't pull that away. And so what happens is when, when you have sex with someone who is not your spouse, what you're doing is you're actually uniting yourself to them in a way that's only designed for your spouse. And even today, some of us will try to rationalize and we'll use the argument that the Nicolaitans or the, the Balaamites use. You know, it's, it's, it's just an act. Or you'll go the other route and go, well, since, uh, since we've already had sex, we're basically married, Right? That's, that's all that matters, right? Well, it doesn't work that way, right? Because God says that actually the gifts of marriage only come after the commitment of marriage. And what we like to do in our culture is we like to flip-flop those. We want the gifts without the commitment. But God says it's the commitment of marriage that comes prior to the gifts of marriage. And so you've got the disciples in Pergamum, they're being tempted from outside the church, and that's enough on its own. But then when you're facing temptation to compromise from within your church, that's a whole nother one. And quite frankly, if it lasts long enough, you'll begin to bend. And if you bend long enough, you'll either break or you'll go, well, being crooked is normal. Right? That's just the way it is and the way it's supposed to be. And you need to know that your greatest temptation will not be to turn away from Jesus completely. The greatest temptation is not going to be for you to walk away from Jesus and curse his name and shake your fist in his face and say, I don't need you anymore. Your greatest temptation will actually be to simply turn one or two degrees to the side. Just one degree to the side. It's just a little to the left of what Jesus said. Not a big deal. Well, listen, at two feet, it's not a big deal. Two degrees is not a big deal at two feet. But at 10 years, two degrees to the side is a huge deal. It's massive, right? And so you've got to know that you will be tempted, I will be tempted, I am tempted to compromise my faith in Jesus because we live in this dark world. Now, here's the third truth, and it's this. Jesus overcomes compromise with the word. Jesus overcomes compromise with the word. How do you know that? Well, twice in this letter, Jesus referred to a sharp, two edged sword that comes from his mouth. Okay? There's only a couple of times in the New Testament when a sword is described in this kind of a way. And so there's two passages that I think become very, very helpful to discern what Jesus is talking about in this two edged, very sharp sword. The first one is Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 17. So let's do this. Let's actually read Ephesians 6 17 out loud, starting with the sword of the Spirit. Are you ready? Go. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Oh, okay. There's one clue of what the sword might be. Let's go to the next one. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Let's read this one out loud too, starting with, For the word of God is. Are you ready? Go. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any. Yeah. The exact same language that Jesus is using in Revelation. See, this sword, in fact, is the word of God. It's scripture, right? And so what Jesus is saying is, I am going to overcome compromise with the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is truth. And truth divides and distinguishes, all right? Truth divides and distinguishes, okay? Here's what I mean. Truth distinguishes fake from real. The Bible distinguishes between lies and reality. Truth distinguishes fiction from fact. And Jesus says, I will come to make war against compromise with truth from the Bible. I know there's all these competing ideas out there, but that's what they are. They're ideas. And I'm coming with truth. You see, the fact that Scripture is truth, that's one of the things that's vitally different from things like cultural norms and shared values. Because cultural norms, they, they change and they shift over time, right? And they even shift from region to region. They're not always all of the same. I mean, think about this. Just 100 years ago, not even 100 years ago, in, in our country, right, where we lived, the culture, the normal culture was things like this, a deep, deep care for the community, even over the individual, right? A resisting of showboating, and limiting self-indulgence. That was the culture, oh, pretty overwhelmingly, for this nation just less than 100 years ago. That's changed. <laughs> right? uh, but we are very different today than we were in the last century. Now, I'm not saying that that was some idyllic time and we need to go back to that because there's all kinds of really bad things that were going on as well. But all I'm saying is making the point that culture has shifted. By the way, Zeus, gone. Arclepius, nobody's sleeping in rooms with saints anymore to get healing, right? Caesar worship, gone. You know what's still going on today? Jesus is still Lord. You know what else is still true today? The Bible, overwhelmingly, every single year is the number one printed and the number one book sold all over the world. Still today, people are saying yes to Jesus Christ as their forgiver and leader. Why? Why would that be? Because truth supersedes culture. Truth supersedes language barriers. Truth supersedes time. It remains, even as cultural norms and shared values shift and change, truth remains the same. And in John 17, 17, Jesus said, your word is truth when he was praying and so you have to know that the bible is the highest standard of truth and it's not see what we do is we confuse that sometime what we'll do is we go oh well the bible holds to some higher principle of truth and that's why it's true so you've got this overarching idea of truth and the bible fits in that that's a wrong way to look at it in fact the bible says the very opposite the bible says itself is the highest standard It is the principle of truth, right? If you want to look at truth, it's Scripture, which means that every other claim must be put against the basis of truth, which is Scripture. And if it doesn't stand up, right, Jesus makes war against it, right, with truth, and he overcomes compromise with the truth of the word, okay? So we're living in a dark world, we're going to be tempted to compromise and Jesus overcomes with the word. So what do we as Christ followers do so that we can overcome the distraction of compromise? And I think it's this, cling to the word, cling to the word. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, Jesus had told the church in Pergamum that they had, they had done something well. They held fast to his name. They had not denied his faith, right? But what they did do was they allowed some groups into leadership and into teaching positions, and they were teaching in direct opposition to Scripture. And so that leads me to believe that many of the disciples in Pergamum had said yes to Jesus. They understood the gospel at its core, and they put their faith in Jesus Christ, but... No one had taken their faith beyond. And what I mean by that is this. No one had discipled the church in Pergamum in the word. They'd come to faith in Jesus. They said yes to him, but nobody discipled them intentionally past that. Or at least if they did, they didn't do very well. And so what Jesus told them to do, he said, repent. And I believe that Jesus was telling them to repent of their willful ignorance to Scripture. I don't see any other way that they would have allowed the Balaamites and the Nicolaitans come in and do what they were doing. Now, here's where you cross over to our time. There are actually a lot of Christians in the church today. Some are even in light, a part of Lighthouse Community and, and all of that who have said yes to Jesus, but no one's actually taught them how to read the Bible. No one's taught them how to know what God has said. No one's taught them to learn who God is from the Scripture. And they simply don't know that they need to cling to the word, and they don't know how to cling to the word. It's not that they don't love Jesus. It's not that they don't have a desire to follow him. It's the fact that nobody's ever discipled them on how to cling to the word. And so I think the question then becomes, well, how do I help someone else cling to the word? And I think the first step is this. You have to cling to the word yourself. you got to know how to cling yourself. And that means you've got to read the Bible for yourself, because it's not enough for you to know what I think. About the Bible. That's that's not enough. And it's not enough for you to know what your favorite preacher online or on TV says or knows about the Bible. That's not enough, right? The Holy Spirit is actually inviting you personally to know God, to know truth, to know that for yourself firsthand as opposed to secondhand. And so you've got to read, right? Now, I know when I say read, some of you are growing and going, oh man, I hate to read. I haven't read a book since I was in high school. I didn't even read a book when I was in high school, right? Like, you know, I, I don't like to read. And I would say two things to that. First, get over it, right? <laughs> like, just get over it. Okay, listen, reading's like building a muscle right? You, you're, it's not very strong at first, but you do it a little bit at a time, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And so do that, right? Build that muscle. But here's the second thing I would say to you. There are different ways to read. There's different ways to read. One is to literally read the words on a page or on your phone, right? Either one's fine, doesn't matter. That's one way of reading. You know another way of reading is to actually listen to Scripture being read to you. Do you know that for free on the Bible app, there are a number of of audio versions that you can just listen to scripture being read to you. A lot of times I'm in the car. I'll just start on a book of the Bible, hit play, and I'll listen to scripture as I'm driving around, right? To wherever I'm going to next. Here's another idea if you've got kids or, or you know you've got somebody who's willing to do it. Just ask them. Ask them to read scripture to you. How cool would that be like, you know, for 5 10 minutes a night you just have your kids read you scripture out loud. Um, that's, that's a way that you could, you could read Scripture and also kind of disciple your kids and, or someone else you know that you love. Uh, another way to read Scripture is this, um, is to meet up with other growing disciples and talk about it. Hey, I read this. I have this question. Uh, you know, what does this mean? Jesus said he's going to overcome with the sword. What does that mean? What does that look like? Listen, there are so many ways to read other than sitting down at a table and, and reading words off a page. That's not wrong. That's not bad. But we're all not wired that way. And so think about some other ways to engage on that. Listen, here's the sharp truth, okay? This is the sharp truth on this. Some of us need to repent from avoiding the Bible. Let me say that again. It's very important. Some of us actually need to repent from avoiding the Bible because you've been avoiding Scripture for whatever reason. It doesn't matter What the reason is. I don't like to read. I don't understand it. Nobody can help me explain it to me. It does not matter. But what you've done is you've chosen ignorance. You've willfully chosen ignorance. And this is a critical reason why you're compromising your faith and you feel the weight of conviction in your life almost daily, right? That's the Holy Spirit convicting you, right? Calling you to repentance. But the problem is you don't even know how to respond, Because you don't know the truth of what Scripture says. And so what you do is you live each day with the weight of this on your shoulders going, man, what can I do to feel better? And the way to feel better, it's it's not even about feeling better. It's about leaning into the truth of Scripture and clinging to the Word yourself. That's the first way that you help someone else cling to the Word. But then you can help others Cling to the word, too. Here's why I say that. Because Jesus told the believers in Pergamum, he said, listen, repent of your sin. That's what he said. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly, and then he says this, and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So Jesus says, repent, or I'm coming to you quickly, and I'm going to make war against them, okay? Okay? Who's the them? I think the them is the Balaamites and the Nicolaitans, right? The ones who are inside the church who are leading believers to compromise their faith. And what I love about this is, yes, Jesus is so unhappy with what is going on in that church, and he's like, that is not right, and it needs to be corrected, but he doesn't come and say, I'm going to kill them all, right? He comes and he's saying, go warn them. Go warn them. Tell them that what they're doing and what they're teaching is outside of Scripture. Help them learn how to cling to the Word, not to anything else, not to some other ideology, not to some other philosophy, but to cling to the Word. Invite them to repent and cling to the Word. Share the gospel with them, share truth with them so that they can repent and they won't be at war with me, right? Jesus is saying, go to them and help them. And, and I can tell you from firsthand experience, right, this is not always easy. Uh, years ago, I was uh, just chit-chatting with a friend, and uh, he had shared with me that he had worked every day of the week for the last few months, right, because he was sharing that just kind of feeling worn down, and he was tired, he shared, yeah, I've worked every day for the last few months, and the way, but the way he said it, he almost wore it like a badge of honor, you know, I'm working hard, i work every day of the week for the last few months, and he was feeling drained, and he was feeling overwhelmed, and I asked him, I said, hey, you're my friend, and I have a question. What would you say to me if I just confessed to you that I was cheating on my wife, Christina? Like, what would you say to me? He goes, well, i tell you to stop. You go, okay, why? He's like, well, because God's word clearly says that that's outside of his character, you know, to commit adultery on your wife. I was like, "Oh yeah," I said. It's actually one of the Ten Commandments. Right, it's the seventh, not to commit adultery. And he said, "Yeah, I tell you to stop. I tell you to confess, and I tell you to change the way you're living." And I said, "Okay." I said, "You know what the fourth commandment is?" And something Jesus talked about quite often. He said to rest. Resting each week is really important. And so, as my as your friend, I want to tell you, I love you. You need to repent. You need to confess. And you need to change this way of living because it's not honoring to the Lord, right? And so, right, he was, he was just one degree off. He was just two degrees off. And that was a wake-up call that my friend needed. Now, I wasn't trying to stand in judgment at him and like, you know, I'm better than him. I'm more right than him. I, I know, like God's still transforming me. But I wanted to help him cling to the word. I wasn't trying to get him in a gotcha moment. I was trying to help him see that the sin of adultery is on the same level of wearing yourself thin with no rest. Jesus actually puts those things. The scripture puts those two things. Now, the consequences may be different in this world, but ultimately, they're the same. They're living under self-leadership in offense to God. And so I was just trying to help my friend. Now, let me say this. There is a big, big difference between pulling the pin on a grenade, like a truth grenade, and like launching it at somebody that you don't even know, right? There's a big difference between that and humbly, gently, prayerfully going to a friend and saying, I want to share something with you. Because I love you. Know the difference between those two things and choose the Jesus way, right? As opposed to any other. And Because the only way that you overcome compromise is to cling to the word. Now, to help you do that, uh, I came across and I found this Bible reading plan that you actually might find really helpful. So it's, uh, it's, we're calling it the Survey Bible Reading Plan. Again, we're not great with titles here, but uh, Survey Bible Reading Plan. What this is, this is a 61-day plan that will actually introduce you to all the major people and major events of the Bible in chronological order, beginning with creation, Getting to like the birth and sustaining of the nation of Israel, um, getting to Jesus, all the way to the end words of Revelation. Okay, you're not reading all of the Bible, but you're reading these big snippets that's going to help you. Uh, I think it's going to help you see like all of Scripture in broad brushstrokes. And I believe that the Holy Spirit's actually going to lead you to make connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament that will be very, very helpful for you in your own personal faith in clinging to the word. And so if you want to receive that, just check that next step on your connection card here in the house or online. We will email that to you this week so you can have access to that Bible reading plan. Uh, We'll put that in your hands. Now, the last thing Jesus says is he said, there's a blessing for those who choose to cling to the word even when they're under pressure to give up. He says this, to the one who overcomes compromise, I will give him manna and I will give him a white stone that bears your new name. Let me tell you very plainly what that means. Jesus says to the one who chooses to cling to the word, even when you're facing pressure to give up and to compromise, I'm gonna be your provider. I'm gonna provide for you while you're being tempted. I'm gonna provide for you through the temptation. I'm gonna provide for you all the way to victory. And the victory, by the way, is this white stone with your new name that points to your eternal hope in your eternal relationship with God in heaven, right? That's the blessing for choosing to cling to the word when compromise comes. And so cling to Jesus, cling to the word, and never let go. Now I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And I want you to ask the same question. We ask it every week. Some of you might be going, you need a new question. No, no, I don't. <laughs> You need to think about this question. That's what you need to do. This is a question. Jesus, what are you saying to me through this message right now? And I want you to listen to him for just a moment. in just a moment, we're going to make our prayer partners available. But before that, I want to pray together as a church family. Here's what I want you to do. Your head's bowed and eyes closed, still listening to the Lord. Just for a moment, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to shine light on the ways that you may be compromising right now. And ask him for the strength to repent and cling to the word. here's the other question who might the holy spirit be leading you to have a conversation with ask him for courage ask him for gentleness with the gospel as well because this is actually a way that we help one another in the process so what I want to do is I just want to pray together as a church family, and then we're going to go to prayer partners. God, we, we recognize that if we really let the Holy Spirit shine throughout all of our lives, there are going to be multiple places where he's going to touch on and identify places we've compromised. And, and we've justified it, and we have all of our reasons, and we got all, you know, this is why I'm unique, I'm special, and I don't have to follow your, your guidance and your truth, God. And I get that. But Lord, I'm wondering if you would grant us the courage to simply confess it, to call it what it is, and then ask for the strength to repent and to cling to you. Would you identify those? Would you touch on those even now? And then, Lord, every single one of us have people in our lives. And and it's not about that we're better than. it's It's just simply the fact that we have blind spots. We can't see ourselves, but yet we have an ability to help others. And so we pray that if your spirit is leading us to have gentle, humble, and yet truthful conversation with family, with friends who we love dearly, would you give us the courage to do that? And may we go out of love and out of a desire to help them cling to the word. And so, lead us by the power of your spirit, we pray. We know we need you more than anyone within this whole process. Now, one of the things we love to do is we do love to pray with one another, face to face. Uh, at times. And so what we're going to do is the band's going to lead us in one more song. And during this last song, we're going to have prayer partners who are available. They're going to be available in each corner of the room, right? So we will have one up here by the cross, one over here by the tank, promise we won't push you in, uh, one back by the sound booth, one by the double doors, right? They're going to be available to pray with you about anything in your life, anything at all. Could be what we talked about this morning, could be something else. But please don't let the fear of what other people might think your own uh, hesitation, your own fears to stop you from praying with another believer. This is one of the most powerful things we'll do this morning. And so during this last song, which won't last very long, I'm going to invite you to come forward in just a moment and receive prayer this morning. Let me pray for you, and I want to invite you to come too. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer, every single person who desires prayer, right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us.